Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Recently, I have been reading a biography written by Kim Fook. You're probably familiar with this girl. Uh, we call her the Napalm Girl. You've seen her picture. Probably the most iconic picture of the Vietnam War era. She is a nine-year-old little girl. Napalm bomb has just been dropped upon her village. Burned off her clothes. She's running in agony. You see these little kids running with terror on their faces. And this little girl uh, naked running. Her clothes been burned off and she's badly scarred. Uh, just, uh, just a wretched sight to see. Her name is Kim Fook. She survived that terrible ordeal. Uh, she is a Christian now, uh, a Canadian citizen living up in Canada. I've never met her. I do have a preacher friend who knows her well. And I got a copy of her book, Fire Road. So I'm going to tell you her story as best as I can, and I hope that it will be an encouragement to you in your Christian walk. From time to time, although we deal often here on this program, we deal with Islam and those issues there, but we are trying to strengthen the saints here at the Fortress of Faith for you to be people of courage, to love the truth, and to have courage. Sometimes, though, we just need to take a break and um, and strengthen the saints in in other areas of our Christian walk. And I think that her story will encourage you in this way. It was June the 8th, 1972, when her world changed. Three days before June the 8th, June the 5th, the Viet Cong moved into her village. The children took up shelter in the Cao Dai Temple, which is the religion that she was born into, Caldaism. And the United States was fighting the Viet Cong who'd moved into that area there to try to push them back. And by mistake, though the U.S. dropped four napalm bombs on the village and killed a number of people. The firebomb, though, as the kid, the, the, uh, they kind of knew that the temple had been marked just minutes of warning for them to run. They knew that a that a bomb was going to be f falling on on the village and on the temple. So the children were ushered out, and she could see the plane fast flying overhead towards her. She even saw the bombs fall. The thing about napalm, it's sticky, the way she described it. Water burns at 212 degrees. I'm sure even us would just unbearable pain to have to just have our flesh in 212 degrees. Napalm burns at, burns at 5,000 degrees. And it doesn't stop burning. It just kind of keeps until all the oxygen has been sucked out of the, until it's a carbon, uh, just nothing left. And she was running down the road, Route 1, screaming, Nankai, Nankai, too hot, too hot. 
Nick Oot, there was a bunch of photographers and journalists there on that road just outside of the village. Nick Oot was the Associated Press reporter who snapped the iconic pictures that day. There was another uh, person filming, and you can see another reporter, a BBC reporter, Christopher Wayne, who had some a canister of water and tried to give some aid and help to th- this victim. You see these other kids, just there's just terror in their eyes in that picture. Just dreadful to see. As you see this, uh, she, she's drinking the water, and you don't see this on the film. The film turns away, but what had happened next is that the reporter did probably what you and I would have done, thinking this poor girl, she, her back is all burnt, so he thinks, like you and I, to pour water on her back to hopefully bring some, uh, some comfort to her, but no, it did just the opposite because napalm, sucks you know fuel is fueled by oxygen h2o the an element of water is oxygen there and as that water hit within the crevices of the burnt uh, skin there it ignited again the poor girl because of these reporters they they helped her and it was nick oot who took the picture was actually responsible of making sure that a hospital took her the hospital at first said no you know this person just won't survive. It's gonna die. She's going to die. But he insisted that uh, they took her, and they did. And um, But they weren't equipped for this type of injury. And so they sent her up to Saigon about an hour away to a hospital there that uh, dealt with these types of injuries. And when she arrived there, they didn't want to take her because, A, well, they thought she was dead. She had passed out. Uh, she'd become unconscious. And um, burned victims like that just don't survive. And so instead of treating her in the hospital, they put her in the morgue in a tent just across the road. It took three days for mom and dad to find their child. I think there was eight children there. And... and uh, they finally found her there in, in the morgue, her mother. And apparently maggots had already started working into her body and, and stuff there. And, and she was still alive, unconscious there. But when her mother picked her up and started uh, and she heard her mother's voice, she came to. And so they rushed her into the hospital. And fortunately, and some other events, I won't get into all the stories and details, but uh, um, she, care was given to her. But the care that she had to go through was excruciating, to say the least. For three months, they would put her in what's what they call a burn bath, a water, a jet pool type of thing there. And they would have to soften the skin. The water would soften the skin. It would take a 30-minute of treatment there. And it would create it, yeah, get the skin soft enough so that they could take scissors and then begin to cut away the dead flesh and the scarred, um, carbonized flesh that was on her back. And arms and and, uh, and so that new skin could maybe come and grow and each time they would put her in in the water it was excruciating it was like the fire would start all over again and and uh, and she would pass out from the pain they'd have to hold her head up so she didn't drown there and this would go on for three months day after day after day I, I can't imagine the agony she endured over 17 operations when she did survive 
in her country had been taken over by the communists. The communists used her as a propaganda uh, puppet there and it ruined her hopes and plans for college and and everything and just, you know, because she was used and abused by the regime there. She said, my burns make me different. I will never uh, find love for my heart, peace, or peace for my pain. I am no more than my scars. And that's how she felt, that no one would love her, no one would care about her. And when she heard about the gospel, about the God of the Bible who came to earth to provide salvation for her because of his love for her, uh, someone, she found a friend in college who opened the Bible and explained it to her and started taking her to church. And after a year of hearing the, the, the gospel message, 10 years after this event, on Christmas Eve, 1982, she became a believer. Now, I want to read part of her story out of Fire Road to you there, and I've condensed this, so hopefully I can fit this in today's program. But it talks about how she discovered how to forgive. And this is a wonderful story. She wrote, The topic of forgiveness had initially surfaced for me prior when I had read two short verses of the Scripture of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 6, 27 and 28. But I say unto you, which here, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. This can't be right, I thought. Maybe I misread it. I read the verses again, focusing on the last part this time around. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. Bless them that curse me. Pray for them that despitefully use me. How could this possibly be done? Oh, Lord, I said aloud, do you not recall how many enemies I have? I began logging my enemy list. At the top of the list, of course, were those who, uh, all those involved in the destruction of my country and dropping the napalm bombs that forever changed my life. The strategists who drew up the war plants, the commander who ordered the airstrikes, the pilots who dropped the bombs. I was furious with them all. I did not have the names of all these guilty parties, but I reserved places for them on my list. Next on my list were the communist officials, man after man, who had killed my dreams. They used me for propaganda and abused me day by day with no recompense. I sat with my list for better than an hour, and I shut my Bible with more than a little force, thinking, forgive them? Forget it. There's just no way. And I kept finding other scriptures about forgiveness. I was being asked to be kind and tenderhearted, to believe that vengeance was God's responsibility, not mine. Father, yes, but you don't understand how severe is my pain, the terror, the destruction, the abuse, the scars. Is there no justice for me to be paid? I had memorized a lovely verse in the Old Testament. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Over time, I begged God for wisdom. I noticed that, that instead of muttering curses towards my enemies, towards those who had wronged me, I began praying for them. A certain journalist who had written falsehoods about my life, I would say, Father, please protect him. Please prosper him according to your will. Help him do excellent work today. Please, would you give him your peace? I would move from 
uh, uh, from there into a time of prayer for all the leaders of the communist regime. The, the same government structure that had ruined so much of my life. The more I prayed, the better I felt. The better I felt, the lighter my spirits were. Wow. I remember thinking, my heart must surely be changing. And the very people I wanted to murder, I now felt nothing, felt nothing but love. My heart was no longer angry. I no longer uh, uh, looked for revenge. My enemy list had become my prayer list, and my fury had declared a ceasefire. It was in November 1996 that Kim Fook was invited to Washington, D.C. to speak at the Veterans Day ceremony that was held in front of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, the famed National Mall. After a speech, she met, for the first time, one of the people responsible for much of her pain. Retired Captain John Plummer, U.S. Vietnam veteran, met her and told her that it, it was him that coordinated the attack that day of the bombs to fall on her village, Trang Bang. Now he's a pastor. And the preacher, Plummer, said, Kim, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so very, very sorry. Will you forgive me for what I've done? Instead of returning evil for evil, instead she returned kindness. And Kim reached for his hands, looked deep into his eyes, and says, it's okay. I forgive. I forgive. You know, folks, it's only the Spirit of God, it's only the power of God, the fruit of the Spirit, that can do that, folks. Aren't you glad we got a great God who can help us to return kindness for evil? Join us again tomorrow at the Corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.